Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, welcome! Welcome to our reading. I apologize for the sound in the background. I have a male dog who is not fixed, and he's, uh, he's after my female, so he's been yap yipping all afternoon, and uh, it's driving me crazy, but that's just the way it is in this house. This is a crazy dog house. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody to the show, and uh, give me a second here, and let me get set up, and uh, like I said, you're probably going to hear the dog yapping in the background, but anyway, give me a second. Okay, so... I want to do it this way, and uh, let me plug my let me plug myself in and put my hat on, and we're going to get to reading here. This is Miracle. We're in Chapter 16. We left our heroes in Chapter 16. So let me get, like, festive here. See that? Look at that. I'm festive. Yeah, if I turn this on, check it out. Check it out. I'm super festive. Watch. Yeah, see my lights? I got blinky lights. Blinky lights and a hat that sits straight up. Welcome. I hope everybody had a good Christmas. I had a good Christmas, so uh, I've been looking forward to doing this read for a while. And uh, yeah, let's get on with it. Give it another couple minutes to let people get in the room, and uh, we'll start. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for this read. And we've been doing this every weekend since Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, we started out reading um, Dickens' Christmas Carol. And now we're into Mrs. Miracle by Debbie McCumber, which I watched as a movie, which I really enjoyed. That's why I kind of wanted to... Let me get some light on here. I'll have my light on. Look at that. There we go. And that's why I kind of wanted to bring it to you guys and uh, share it with you. There we go. Now I got my lighting on properly, too. Pretty cool. Anyway, I own the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. We're located in Sacramento, California. We are 35 strong up and down the state of California. So it's kind of cool. You know, uh, we, we also have people in Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, Nevada. So we help people a lot. We're nonprofit. We like to help people with their ghost issues. Anyway, like I said, you hear a dog in the background. That's just my house. It's crazy. My house is a crazy house. So it's always been crazy and it'll forever be crazy house. And uh, sorry about that, but it's just how it is. Okay. A uh, couple more minutes for people to get in the room, and then we're going to start Chapter 16 of Mrs. Miracle. And uh, this book is cool. The, the, the movie itself is really cool. The book's a little different than the, than the movie, because obviously a book goes into more detail than a movie does. So some of the stuff that I'm reading is new to me as well as it is new to you guys. Okay? And let's make sure you can hear me. Okay, I'm going to do a check here. Let me do a quick sound check. Make sure you can hear my... Hear my lovely voice, which you can. Okay. And uh, do a sound check. This is where we do our California Haunts show from every week. or I mean, every every day of the week almost, practically. The only day we don't do a show is Saturday. Okay, I'm going to start reading now. And here we go. We're at, like I said, we're, I'm going to unplug here so I can move around. We're at Chapter 16 of uh, Mrs. Miracle. And just an FYI, if I have to fidget or move around, I have a bad back. You can see I've got my Surf and Santa shirt on too. My Shaka Santa. Okay, here we go. You left the milk out again, Sharon reminded her husband pointedly. Without comment, Jerry scooted his chair away from the table, removed the milk carton from the counter, and placed it back inside the refrigerator. 
Her husband looked at her as if she had something on his mind, as if he had something on his mind. But whatever it was, he let it go. They seemed to be at an impasse. Once they would have joked and laughed at how silly they were being. But this time, but that time was gone. And they both knew it. What had started out as a minor disagreement over a cruise and Christmas had evolved into something much more serious. They were sleeping apart and cooking their own meals. It was ridiculous. Stupid, childish, and a hundred other adjectives Sharon could think of. Jerry cooking, she cringed as she glanced around in her orderly kitchen. How any man could make such a mess scrambling eggs was beyond her. Eggshells and spilled milk puddled across the countertop, and runny egg had dried on her once spotless stovetop. The peanut butter had been left out, along with the bread and just about everything else Jerry had touched in the last several days. Regretfully, Sharon realized she had no one to blame but herself. She was the one who insisted her husband cook his own meals. The words had been spoken in anger, but she regretted them almost immediately. Surely Jerry knew that, yet he chose to carry out this ridiculous charade. Even then, she didn't completely blame him. She wasn't any better opting to sleep in the guest room when it was apparent they were both miserable. If she hadn't had Maggie to talk to, she didn't know what she would have done. Her best friend had tried to help, but all she could do was listen. If ever Sharon needed a sympathetic ear, it was now. They'd gone shopping, and Maggie had taken her to lunch afterwards. When she'd heard about Jerry and the cookie incident, she'd been furious with him. As soon as he finished his breakfast, Jerry left the house. Sharon watched him leave. The problems within their marriage were kind of compounding instead of simplifying. Maggie had listened, and although she hadn't said it, the subject was there. Divorce. It had happened. It had happened to some of their friends. Sharon had just never expected it would happen to Jerry and her. For the first time since she had spoken her vows, Sharon seriously considered contacting an attorney. With a heavy heart, she sat down, opened the local phone directory, and ran her fingers down a long list of lawyers' names, shocked by how many claimed to specialize in divorce cases. Divorce. What an ugly word it was. Even uglier when a 40-year investment and what had once been a satisfying marriage. But something had to be done, Sharon realized. They couldn't continue the way they were. Oddly at odds, working against one another, their home had become a battlefield. She started, she stared at the door. Jerry had walked out without telling her where he was going or what time he'd return. Sharon had a general idea how he kept himself occupied. He golfed a couple of days a week, played, played pinochle with his croonies, and coached basketball for a group of junior high kids. She had her own life, her own interests, her own friends. It would be difficult, but she could learn to live without Jerry. She might as well be alone now. What they shared wasn't worthy of their word marriage. Their love had become a contest of wills and frequent battles. Depressed and unsure if she was doing the right thing, she closed the phone book. As strange as the relationship was, she loved her husband and was convinced that in his own way he loved her. The house was empty and silent. In an effort <laughs> in an effort to lift her mood, she put on a Christmas album, turning up the volume as she finished with the housework. The cheerful, happy music was infectious, and she had the sudden desire to go shopping. With Christmas less than two weeks away, she still had several things she wanted to buy for the twins. Generally, Jerry went Christmas shopping with her, but she would go without him this year, just as she was visiting Seth and the grandkids for the holidays alone. The rest of the morning proved to be productive, 
and her spirits lifted considerably. She wished Maggie would join her, but her best friend had made other plans. Her arm, her arm was loaded down with packages. Sharon headed for the restaurant in Nordstrom. The Chinese chicken salad was one of her favorites. A line had formed outside the restaurant, and as she stood waiting her turn, Sharon's eyes wandered over the crowded room. By chance, she caught a glimpse of long, red-haired Maggie. This was a pleasant surprise. She was just about to raise her hand and call out to her friend when she noticed Maggie wasn't dining alone. She was with Jerry. Jerry. The two were deeply involved in a conversation, their heads closed together. Sharon felt as if someone had picked her and kicked her in the stomach. The classic scenario, her husband and her best friend, blindly, she whirled around, nearly colliding with the young mother pushing a stroller. I'm sorry, she murmured. So sorry, escaping before Maggie and Jerry saw her. Was it the, okay, sorry, escaping before Maggie and Jerry saw her was of the utmost importance. She all but stumbled out of the store. Inside the mall, she stood still and silent as her mind processed what her eyes had seen. People flowed past her like rushing water scooting around a large rock. All at once, everything that had happened between her and her husband made sense. Everything added up. Jerry and Maggie. Seth was busy tabulating a long list of numbers when the phone rang on his desk, breaking his concentration. He frowned and absently reached for the receiver, irritated with the interruption. He wanted to get away from the office on time that evening, and it had nothing to do with meeting Reba. All right, so it had everything to do with meeting Reba. Hello, he muttered. Seth, I hope it's all right that I called you at the office. Sharon? The last person he expected to hear from was, was his mother-in-law. Is something wrong? No, everything just everything's just wonderful as always. It didn't sound that way. Her thin voice sounded fragile and unsure, which wasn't like her. I apologize for interrupting you at work, but I needed she hesitated, and he could hear her talking in a deep taking a deep breath as though she needed to calm herself before continuing. It's about me coming up for Christmas. Christmas? She was calling him at work to confirm Christmas? Something was definitely up. I was wondering if you had any objection to my coming for a few days early. Sharon, you know you and Jerry are welcome anytime. Jerry won't be coming. Seth couldn't believe his ears. Sharon was planning to visit on her own? That made no sense whatsoever. It took him a moment to recover enough to respond. What's happening to Jerry? He's decided not to. I realize I'm arriving a few days earlier than what I mentioned, and that, that you weren't anticipating my arrival until next week. But if it wouldn't be too much of a problem, I'd appreciate she paused when her voice wobbled to the point that he could barely understand her. Sharon, are you all right? Yes, of course. What could possibly be wrong? You tell me. Seth couldn't recall a time when his mother-in-law had been anything but the Rock of Gibraltar. After Pamela's accident, she'd been the voice of reason in a world that had suddenly turned chaotic. Seth didn't know how he would have coped without her. I'm fine, she insisted, her words pleading with him to believe her. Seth knew a lie when he heard one. What time does your flight land? He asked, reaching for a pad. I'll pick you up at the airport. Pick me up. Yes, please. I'll need someone there. She gave him the flight number and the time. Seth glanced at his watch, but that's less than an hour from now. Yes, I know. I'm calling from the plane. The plane? His echo revealed his shock. If I couldn't have stayed with you, I'd have found a hotel room. You'll be there, won't you, Seth? Yes, of course. Don't worry about a thing. This will be a wonderful surprise for the twins. 
it would play havoc with the schedule, but that couldn't be helped. Something was drastically wrong, and after the way his mother-in-law had stepped in and helped him, he could hardly refuse her now. Seth sat with his hand on the telephone receiver, uncertain whom to contact first, Reva or his housekeeper, Mrs. Merkel. She'd need to make up the guest room. After he talked to her, he called Reba and tell her that he wouldn't be able to stop in after work the way he planned. The vacation packages Reba had assembled for his review were only an excuse to see her again. Seth acknowledged freely. He was scheduled to meet with her after work before she went to church for Christmas practice with the kids. He'd seen her every night that week. On Monday, she'd gone Christmas shopping with him, and on Tuesday, she'd been to the house for dinner. Mrs. Merkel had done herself proud with a fried chicken succulent enough to tempt the colonel. Jason answered when he rang the house. Hi, Daddy. Hello, sweetheart. Is Mrs. Merkel there? Yep. He heard Jason drop the phone, the sound of the receiver clanging in his ear. He returned breathless a moment later. Mrs. Miracle's real busy getting, getting the extra bedroom all cleaned up, his son told him. Who's coming? Ask Mrs. Miracle, he suggested, frowning. Mr. Webster, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. The housekeeper came on the line, breathing hard. I'm calling to let you know I'll be picking up the children's grandmother at the airport this afternoon. He waited half, expecting his housekeeper to explain why Sharon was arriving a full week early, and without Jerry, or without Jerry. If anyone knew it, it would be Mrs. Miracle. The woman apparently possessed some form of telepathy. Ah, I wondered. Sharon phoned the house? No. Then how'd you know she was coming? I didn't. It never hurts to have a spare room freshened up now and again. I had a few extra minutes this afternoon and decided to give it to once over. How fortuitous in light of Mrs. Palmer's unexpected arrival. I don't know if it'd be a good idea to say anything to the twins just yet, says Caution, wondering how much he would say. My mother-in-law seems to be feeling a bit under the weather. A short pause follows his announcement. Do you need me to drop the kids off and practice at the church then? Seth had forgotten all about that. Yes, please, if it isn't too much of a problem. None at all. I'll stay and visit with the women's group as, as well as leave the house to, to you and Mrs. Palmer. I appreciate it, Seth murmured, trying to think if there was anything else he'd forgotten. I'll put two dinners to warm in the oven. Don't you worry, Mr. Webster. Everything is going to work out just fine. She spoke as if she knew more about the situation than Seth did himself. Good, he muttered, hoping she was, old, hoping she was right. He didn't know what was wrong between Sharon and Jerry, or if he was reading more into that matter than he should. Perhaps Jerry was ill. No, that couldn't be it. Sharon would be the first one to stand aside through any health problems. She sounded shaken to the core, rattled in shock. Seth certainly didn't certainly hope he knew what to say in order to help. A glance at the wall clock told him he barely had time to call Reba. He dialed, and while he waited for someone to answer, stood and slipped into a suit jacket. Reba, please, he said when her assistant answered. Seth? She was on the line a moment later. I'm afraid I won't be able to see you tonight. As he said the words, he realized he was more disappointed than he thought. Perhaps a bit of a break was for the best fit with them. It wouldn't take much to become accustomed to spending time with Reba each day and every day. She was fast becoming addictive. A good kind of addictive. She made him feel again, dream again, hope again. Is something wrong? He explained the situation with Sharon, hoping Reba might have some insights to give him. Mrs. Merkel is driving the kids to practice. I hope old Sharon needs it some time away. I'm sure you're right. And don't worry, I can give you the price quotes anytime. He wasn't worried, but he'd been looking forward to seeing her all day. Every now and again, he found himself staring at the time, mentally tabulating how long it would be before he'd be with her. 
He wanted to suggest she stop off at the house at the church, but he couldn't. Not knowing what was happening between his in-laws was one thing, but Reba was sure to be physically and emotionally exhausted after her time with the kids. From what he understood, she had already received her share of bad news. The baby Jesus had come down with a bad cold, and one of the shepherds had broken his leg. This was terrific news as far as Jeff was concerned, since he preferred that role over being an angel. I've got a scoot, Seth told her with regret, and then, because this brief conversation wouldn't be enough to see him through until he could be with her again, he added, can I call you later? Yes, please do. I hope everything's all right with your mother-in-law. I hope so, too. The words echoed in his mind some 40 minutes later as he was at CPAC waiting for Sharon to step out of the jetway. He knew the instant he saw her that something was drastically wrong. She looked straight past him, as pale as death, stricken and shell-shocked. Sharon, he stepped forward and took the, cherry, and took the carry-on bag out, out of her hand. She looked at him as if seeing a stranger. Seth, thank you for coming. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. She hugged him briefly, and he could tell she was struggling not to weep. It's good to see you, he studied her, wondering what had happened and how much he, he should urge her to tell him. How much luggage do you have with you, he asked, leading the way to the baggage claim area. Luggage? Oh my, I don't think I brought any. I have my carry-on, but I don't seem to remember packing. I suppose I should have. No, I did have a suitcase, but I left it at the house. Oh dear. Don't worry, you can buy whatever you need. Seth carried the conversation as they walked toward the parking garage. She answered him, but only when he asked direct questions. Only when absolutely necessary. Seth helped her into the car and stuck her carry-on bag on the back seat. As he set it on the cushion, the bag fell open, exposing one slipper and a novel. She'd come for the holidays, arriving ten days before Christmas with one shoe. He closed his eyes, wishing he were better at handling this sort of situation. He wanted to help, but feared he was grossly inadequate. Once they were home, he placed Sharon's bag in the spare bedroom and took the two heaping dinner plates out of the oven. He set them across the table and sat across from her. He might as well have served Sharon mowed lawn for all the interest she showed him. How's Jerry, he ventured. Her gaze narrowed, and tears moistened her eyes. Fine, I suspect. Just right. He's in California? No telling where Jerry was with Sharon here. Yes, she looked away. Is there a problem with you two? He asked her next, generally exploring with questions the way a physician carefully examines a painful wound. Sharon was safe from answering when the phone rang loudly and unexpectedly. Seth answered it with a certain reluctance. Hello? Is Sharon there? His father-in-law asked without any preliminaries. Jerry? Sharon's eyes rounded. Don't tell him where I don't tell him I'm here. I want to talk to my wife, Jerry demanded loudly. Seth's mother-in-law squared her shoulders and glared across the room. Her pain-filled eyes as sharp as the polished edge of a sword. You can tell Jerry Palmer that as of 12.30 this afternoon, I ceased being his wife. Seth didn't want to be trapped as a go-between in this situation. Perhaps it would be better if you talked to him yourself. No, she said with, with conviction. I don't ever plan to talk to that man again. Maggie's welcome him. Maggie? Jerry exploded at the other end of the line. What the hell is she talking about? Reba lay on the carpet next to the fireplace. Her head propped up against a, a decorator pillow. Her legs bent and crossed, on, and the phone cradled against her ear. Christmas music played softly in the background. I wish I'd been able to see you tonight, Seth. His voice low as 
I, I wish I'd be sorry about that. I wish I'd be able to see you tonight, Seth said, his voice low and seductive. I wish you could have too. She knew he was worried about his mother-in-law. Hell, Sharon, not good. The unexpected arrival appeared to mystify him. Jerry Felder, the two got into a shouting match with me holding the phone. As best as I can make out, Sharon saw him with another woman. Rima bit her lower lip and remembering the time she walked in and discovered her fiancé with her sister together. The shock, the horror, the pain of betrayal by two people she loved had overwhelmed her until it was all she could do to remember to breathe. Jerry would never cheat on Sharon, Seth said confidently. I'll bet I'd bet my life on it. He's just not the type. If Sharon, is Sharon the kind of woman who jumped to conclusions? No, Seth admitted, and she'd heard the reluctance in his voice. There's got to be an explanation, but all she does is blast out at Jerry. The poor guy can barely get a word in his voice. She has the right to be angry. Eva was all too familiar with the anger that followed the shock of such a discovery. She carried hers around with her she, she carried hers around with her for four long years. It burned as brightly now as it had the day she stumbled upon John and Vicky in bed together. At first, when she'd been done with shock, John had tried to reason with her, explain it all away with the sweetest of lies. Vicky's eyes had said it all. They'd been filled with horror and regret, but it was too late. Much too late for apologies and forgiveness. Of course she has a right to be angry, but she isn't giving Jerry a chance to explain himself. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like she wants to believe he purposefully hurt her. Perhaps he already has. Reba's hand tightened around the telephone receiver. Eventually, she needed to tell Seth about her strained relationship with her, with her family. In the years since her broken engagement, she hadn't related the story often. But she felt Seth had a right to know the painful part of her past. She cared about him, wanted with all her heart for this relationship to work, wanted it enough to bear her soul. The irony of it was that she could tell him only over the phone. She needed the separation, the protection of distance in order to relate details of what had shaped the last few years of her life. Do you remember what I said about me avoiding my family? He hesitated, as if instinctively he knew the importance of what she was about to tell him. I remember, he said. She drew in a deep breath, anticipating the pain the story was sure to bring. Four years ago, the same year Pamela died, I was engaged to an architectural student by the name of John Goddard. We met in college and had fallen deeply in love. We planned our wedding. Every detail was of the utmost importance. My older sister, Vicki, was to be my maid of honor. I've never spent a more wonderful summer. I graduated from college with a business degree and was in love and about to be married. Then, a sudden knot that tightened in her throat made it impossible to continue. Reba? The gentle concern in his voice nearly undid her, and she'd struggled to hold back the emotion. Vicky was jealous. I knew it. I saw it. We'd always been competitive, but for the first time in our lives, I had something she wanted. You see, she was always the one who blazed new territory, grades, sports, and just about everything else. It was important to her, out to me, to be first, yet I was the one who was engaged. I was to be the first one married. She didn't love John, but she flirted with him teased him, and asked him if he was sure he was marrying the right sister. I laughed it off. What else could I do but laugh? What happened, Seth asked, with tender concern. She braced herself and between gritted teeth said the words, said the words, each one felt what they were, each one fell from her lips as hard as concrete, as hard as, as hard and as unbending. A week before the wedding, I found my sister in bed with my fiance. I'm convinced she planned it that way, that she wanted me to find them. 
She wanted to show me that she could have anything that was mine. Anything including my soon-to-be husband. There couldn't be any other explanation, but Vicky's victory had turned out to be a shallow one. Reva recognized that the moment she saw her sister and the sick regret in her eyes, the remorse and honest grief. You broke off the engagement, Seth asked, again with cautious tenderness, recognizing what it had cost her to peel back the wounds of the past. I canceled the wedding that very day, and I haven't spoken to my sister since. She tensed, waiting for him to tell her how foolish she, she was being, that by refusing to forgive her sister, she was only hurting herself. Well-meaning friends had said it before, and it was a theme her mother sang at every opportunity. No one understood that what Vicky had done was unforgivable. The ironic part of it is that my sister Mary is now married to another man and has a child. The adored, lone grandchild. Hiding her bitterness was an impossible task. That her sister should find happiness while she lived alone rankled every time she allowed her mind to dwell on it. In other words, your sister came away from all this smelling like a rose. Her eyes flew open. Seth knew. Seth understood. Yes, she whispered, grateful that he appreciated the irony of her situation. Meanwhile, you broke off the wedding at the last minute. Everyone was left to speculate what had happened. That speculation made it seem that the fault was with you. You were fickle. You didn't know what you wanted. Were afraid of commitment. That sort of thing. You were the one who bore the shame. Yes. She had to restrain herself to keep from shouting. The days and weeks following the castle wedding were a nightmarish blow in her mind. In order to save himself from embarrassment, John had told her friends a story, a story that didn't vaguely resemble the truth. In an effort to escape the probing questions and the curious stares, Reba had escaped to the beach, telling no one where she was. When she returned, she invested her time and energy in establishing her travel agency. Some claimed that her success in the highly competitive travel industry was phenomenal. She wouldn't discount her efforts or the long hours she invested, but the drive to urge to succeed could be credited to John and Vicky's treachery and her need to escape the memory of their betrayal. Aren't you going to tell me how foolish I am to leave this matter between my sister and me unresolved? Reba challenged. Everyone eventually set the comment on it, and she'd rather have it out in the open. People say leaving the matter this way is like not treating an open, festering wound. Have you ever had a boil, he asked, baffling her by changing the subject? No. I did as a kid twice. They're ugly things, painful and full of pus. Eventually, they come to a head. My mother put hot compresses on the one on my arm. But the other, well, it was in an area I didn't want my mother looking at. He chuckled softly. I imagine this matter with your sister is something like an emotional boil. Eventually, it will come to a head and it will hurt like hell. But once the poison's out of your system, you'll heal, but not until you're ready. I don't ever plan on speaking to my sister again. I didn't want to deal with the boil either. You can delay it, ignore it as long as you want, but it, it isn't going to go away. If you want to live with it, well, that's your decision. When the time is right to set matters straight with your sister, you'll know it. How wise Seth was and understanding. I wish I was with you right now, he murmured. She did too. Although she'd offered to explain the situation over the phone, she needed him. And for a woman who insulated her life against needing anyone, this was a moment of truth. She did need Seth needed him in ways she was only beginning to understand. You've been badly hurt, betrayed by your own flesh and blood, and by the and, and by the man you were ready to commit your life to. You have a right to your anger, a right to your pain. No one understood that. She had 
She had to whisper the words because she feared if she spoke normally, her voice wouldn't hold. My family seemed to think I was better off without John. But you loved him. Yes, I knew that. Uh, yes, I knew what they, they said was true. But that didn't make, might make me hurt me less. Her voice shook. But she managed to keep the tears at bay. Of course it didn't. What happened afterward is beyond comprehension, she said. That's what I felt. That's what I find so crazy. No one faulted Vicky. My parents completely absolved her from any wrongdoing. Because she was sorry. I was supposed to look the other way and pretend this was nothing out of the ordinary. She kept telling me she never meant for it to happen. She sobbed and cried and pleaded with me to forgive her. And I couldn't. The irony is I felt nothing. Not hate, not right away. That came later. I just looked at her, unable to believe that she was capable of anything that ugly, that deceitful. I wish I could put my arms around you and take away the hurts, I said, with such a tenderness that she had to fight back the emotion. I wish you could, too. Close your eyes and pretend I am. Pretend your head's on my shoulder and my arms are wrapped around you. She shut her eyes and did as he instructed. Caught in the fantasy, she could almost feel his fragrant breath close to her ear. Feel the comfort of his hands as he ran them up and down her spine. Feel the sweet pressure of his lips molding against hers. The taste of his tongue as he claimed her mouth and drove away the demons of the past. I think I can love you, Seth Webster. Reba didn't realize what she'd said until she'd heard the husky words leave her lips. She cringed at, she cringed at revealing her own vulnerability and tilted her head toward the ceiling. I'm beginning to think the same about you, Reba Maxwell. It's as if we're two of a kind, a match set. The lion hummed with awareness. Reba would have given anything to actually be in his arms just then. Thank you for not lecturing me about my relationship with my sister. You understood why I gave up playing the piano, Seth reminded her. Plenty of people have given me grief over that. We've both been hurt, she realized, realizing that it was something, sorry, I'm sorry, realizing that it, was, that it was this knowledge of pain that had drawn them to each other. They had come together like magnets, two of the world's walking wounded. They talked for an hour longer and the barriers down, freely without reserve, laughing and crying together. They shared secrets and dreams, and when she hung up, Reba had really felt closer to anyone, male or female. A half hour later, she crawled into bed. The sheets felt cool and crisp against her heated skin. She stretched out her arm and ran it along the wide open space beside her. She'd found him, the man who would return to, who would return to her everything that she'd lost, her sanity, her pride, her dreams. Utterly content for the first time since her castle wedding, she closed her eyes. Beyond a doubt, she realized that one day she would sleep with Seth would share her bed with, and her life with this man who understood her pain. Jerry Palmer paced the, nah, Jerry Palmer paced the house like a caged gorilla, walking from one empty room to the next. He wasn't sure what he saw, but whatever it was, repeatedly escaped him. Movement seemed only to agitate him further, but sitting and doing nothing was intolerable. He'd been married to Sharon for 40 years, and overnight she had become a stranger to him. Without rhyme or reason, his loving wife had turned into a hot-headed feminist. It was enough to drive a man to drink. At first, he'd assumed the brusque personality changes his wife were due to hormonal imbalance. A few years back, she'd had every window of the house open and was fanning herself like crazy because of one of her hot flashes. He'd been forced to don his coat in the middle of his own house while she sweated until her clothes were damp enough to bring out. She'd visited her doctor soon afterwards, and there hadn't been any more repeats 
of that. Unfortunately, whatever the doctor had given her hadn't done anything to improve her whiplash. I'm sorry, her, her waspish nature. Jerry had gotten in the habit of checking her, pre, her prescription. She appeared to be taking the tablets regularly. Not that it had done much good. For years, Jerry had looked forward to retirement. He'd worked all his life for a chance to golf every day if he wanted. At first, he thought that was exactly what he'd do. But to his surprise, he'd soon grow tired of traipsing over the greens. Oh, it was a good sport, and he enjoyed a couple of rounds a week. But more than that, in a sport, lost its appeal. Playing cards was a good pastime, as was working with 13 and 14-year-olds on the basketball course. But all in all, retirement wasn't what it was touted to be. He found himself restless and antsy and fighting with his wife to the point where she walked out on him and left her suitcase behind. She must have been upset to have taken off without it. He sat and rubbed a hand across his eyes. Maggie claimed she'd been harsh and unreasonable with Sharon about visiting her grandkids over the holidays. His jaw tersed as he recalled, tense, tersed, I'm sorry. His jaw tensed as he recalled the way she got against his wishes and ordered the airline tickets. It used to be that Sharon valued his opinion and readily accepted his decisions. No more. If she didn't like what he had to say, she did as she damn well pleased. Exactly what kind of wife ignored her husband's decisions. But then, a small voice nagged in the back of his mind. How often have you ignored hers? Dang it all. Sharon could believe what she wanted about him and Maggie, she decided. Unable to sit with his thoughts, he reached for the television controller and turned on the television. Then just as abruptly turned it off again, he was in no mood to be entertained. Before he knew it, he was on his feet again. Holding the refrigerator door open, he stared inside the side of the contents. This wouldn't be the first night he cooked his own dinner. He reached for the bread and pulled a jar of peanut butter from the shelf. He never thought he'd see the day that he'd be able to that he'd be married and responsible for cooking his own meals. But then he never expected to be married and sleeping alone either. It wasn't right. It just wasn't right. He slapped the two pieces of bread together and was about to take the first bite when he noticed Sharon's prescription bottle on the windowsill. In addition to her suitcase, she'd apparently forgotten to take her pills with him to Seattle. He scratched the side of his head. There was only one thing to do. He delivered it himself. I'm not wearing any dress, Jed insisted, crossing his arms and tilting his chin at a stubborn angle. Seth recognized that look all too well and was pleased with his mother-in-law. Was pleased his mother-in-law was the one dealing with his son's bullheadedness. It's not a dress, Sharon returned calmly. It's your costume for the Christmas pageant. After a good night's sleep, she was almost herself once again. She hadn't offered any explanations as to what had happened between her and Jerry, and Seth hadn't pressured her. It's a dress, job, job, it's a dress. Jed left, left no room for doubt as to his feelings. And you can forget about strapping those wings on my back. Jed, you're playing the part of an angel. Seth knew it would be a mistake to end the fray, but he couldn't stop himself. While he sympathized with his son, he knew how much time and effort Reba had put in this program. She didn't need any more problems. I want to be a soldier, Jed announced, and raise his arms the way he'd seen the older boys do when carrying painted cardboard shields. They won't let me because I'm only in the first grade. You'll get your turn at being a soldier, Seth assured him. Perhaps we can make the angel costume something other than white, Sharon suggested. Stepping back from the chair, Jed and Jason stood on the seats, both wearing old white sheets that had been fashioned into, Seth hated to admit it, dresses. The shepherds get to wear bathrooms, Jason muttered, his head drooping. Am I too young to be a shepherd too? Maybe next year, Seth said. 
Aaron Greenberg broke his leg, and I thought that Miss Maxwell might just give me the part and everything, part of everything, seeing that you look what, that you look at her. <laughs> okay, that you look at her in church and kiss her under the mistletoe. Seth noticed the way his mother-in-law diverted her attention to him. He swallowed uncomfortably and ignored the comment, hoping that Sharon would as well. He planned to tell the kid's grandmother about Reba, but he wanted to do it in his own time. Miss Waxwell, Miss Matt Maxwell's got short curly hair, Judd added, for his grandmother's benefit. The facts seemed to have some significance to the rest to the first grader. Seth wasn't sure how Sharon would feel about him dating someone else. She'd encouraged him to do so, but saying it was one thing introducing her to the woman who might one day assume her daughter's role and his and the children's lives was another. Miss Maxwell? Sharon's question was directed to Seth. A friend, he said, making light of the relationship. He couldn't very well admit that she occupied every waking thought and had and had for the moment he'd walked into the travel agency. She's our teacher at church, Jason explained and frowned. Sort of teacher. Reba's directing the Christmas pageant, Seth explained wishing now that he'd remain in the living room. He should have known that the conversation would soon work its way to Reba. Kids talk about her constantly. What's this business about her having short hair, Sharon asked. Again, it was Jason who took it upon himself to explain. Dad and Reba went out to dinner, and Mrs. Miracle was watching us. She's better than any babysitter who never, we ever had, because she lets us do fun things, Jen added. Jason glared at his brother. I was the one telling this. All right, all right. His twin looked greatly. Put, up, put upon. It was one thing to have to wear a white dress, another to let his brother do his talking for him. That was when Mrs. Miracle asked what we thought about having a new mother. She and Daddy might marry again, and what she she said, Daddy might marry again, and wonder what Jed and I thought. I think it would be great. I want a mother who lives on earth and not just in heaven. Jed added, and dared his brother to fault him for interrupting. I don't remember mommy very well. Jason said sadly. Jed says he does, but I don't. She used to sing to us, Jen insisted. Seth doubted that either child could possibly remember Pamela. They've both been so young. She used to come and sing to us at night when everything was dark and quiet. I don't remember. I don't remember, Jason repeated wistfully. I want to remember, but I don't. Seth noticed how Sharon averted her eyes as the children talked about their mother. This was hard for her, he knew, because it was also difficult for him to hear his twins talk about their dead mother. I got to thinking about what a new mommy would look like, Judd added, picking up the tail, so I drew her picture. And Judd's picture looks like Miss Maxwell, Jason finished triumphantly. That's wonderful, Sharon said, but Seth noticed that her voice trembled slightly. She walked over to the other side of the kitchen and picked up the aluminum-covered wings, a silver garland-wrapped halo was attached, rising from the back of the wings, and held it in place by a bed hanger. Seth had to give Sharon credit. She'd done a good job. Dad, Jason looked to his father for support, his eyes large and imploring. You aren't going to make me wear wings and a halo, are you? Son, the show couldn't go on without you. Being an angel is an important role. The guys are going to make stupid jokes. Judd tucked his chin against his chest and pouted. It's bad enough that I've got to wear the rest. He spread out the material at the hips, making sure Seth recognized the sacrifice he was already making. The wings and a halo? Seth had to admit that the twins weren't the ones he would have chosen for the part, given their bent given their bent towards the mischievous. But now it was too late to quibble. The pageant was only a little more than a week away. Mrs. Miracle said that not all angels have wings, Judd added on the emphatic note. Really? 
accept and appreciate the housekeeper taking us inside the issue. It's true, Jason added. Mrs. Miracle said that some angels look like ordinary people with regular jobs and everything. Some even come disguised as regular people. God sends them down to earth when he has a special task that needs to be taken care of. Complicated circum circumstances and such, Jim said, sounding very adult and tender for his ears. It seems to me that Mrs. Miracle is a wise woman, Sharon murmured. She cooks real good, too, Jason said, and then whispered just loudly enough for Seth to hear. Lots better than Tad. I was worried about what was going to happen to us before Mrs. Miracle arrived. We might have starved. As if hearing her name, the housekeeper strolled in the kitchen with a fresh batch of folded towels. Isn't that right, Mrs. Miracle? Judd asked, all but leaping down from the chair and grabbing hold of the portly woman. What? The housekeeper asked, taken aback by the fellow attack. What you said about some angels not wearing wings. My dad says I have to put them on for the Christmas pageant. Well, she murmured. Well, it's true enough some angels don't need wings. I wonder how the church audience would know exactly what you, what you were without them. It's an unfortunate truth that some narrow-minded people wouldn't recognize an angel without something to flat behind them. They make me look like a girl, said the assistant. Don't let the Archangel Michael hear you talk like that, Mrs. Merkel said with great dignity. Why, he's one of the nice, the mightiest warriors in heaven. You mean angels can be soldiers, too? Fierce is kind of all. It's true, Seth added, wishing he thought of that himself. Michael carries a sword of truth with him at all times. And from what I understand, he isn't afraid of using it either. Then, so will I, Joe said, satisfied. I'll be a warrior angel. If anyone calls me a sissy, they better watch out, because I'll knock them down with the sword of truth. He thrust his imaginary weapon forward, leaping down from the chair, prepared to wage battle. Jason's actions pantomimed his brother. Pantomime, sorry. As I recall the Christmas story, the shepherds guarding their sheep were afraid of the angel, Sharon reminded him. Fear not, Jason shouted in his, in his memorized line, for we come with, with news of great joy. For unto you this night is born a savior, Judd added, and for good measure and for good measure growled. This is what I thought about Christmas, Sharon said, laughing for the first time since her arrival, a season of love and goodwill toward all mankind. I'm not gonna hurt anyone, Judd promised. I just want to scare people. No one told us angels could be soldiers. He straightened and stood a little taller. How come I didn't know about this Michael dude before now? We just weren't thinking, son. Judd yanked the costume over his head and handed it to his grandmother. I'll wear the wings and the halo as long as I can carry a sword, too. Seth grinned. I'm sure that could be arranged. He sure to smile with his mother-in-law. It seems to me it's time for you two to head toward bed, Mrs. Merkel said, tapping the face of the watch. Already? Already. She had a no-nonsense matter about her that, that his children really questioned. It seemed to take forever to get the kids down, although the mission was accomplished in less than a half hour. Judd talked nonstop about being a warrior angel, and Jason kept repeating his lines for the program, saying them with greater and greater conviction. Once the two were asleep, Seth poured himself a cup of coffee. This was the first time he'd had a chance to speak to Sharon without interruptions. He knew she was eager to hear about Reba, and he had a few questions of his own. Clearly, things had gone drastically wrong between her and Jerry. Want some? He asked, automatically filling a mug for her. He carried both to the table and took, took the seat across from his mother-in-law. You're dating? Sherry never had been one to hedge when she wanted to know something. We haven't known each other long, he said, 
wanting to make light of an involvement with Rima. Is this woman that you is this the woman that you mentioned? Yes. She owns a travel agency and stepped in at the last minute and took over coordinating the Christmas program. The children certainly seem to like her. They do. He didn't add that his own feelings for Rima had grown stronger by the day. I was the one who used to sing to the children at night, Sharon whispered, a faraway look in her eye. It was a song I once sang to Pamela, an old German lullaby by my mother taught me. When the twins first came to live with Jerry and me, I'd sit in their room at night with the lights off. She paused and nibbled on her lower lip. Singing that familiar song helped me accept that my daughter was forever gone. Having the children with me gave me purpose again. Jed remembers. Jed remembers. He was so young, but he remembers. Seth knew this was difficult for Sharon. He reached across the table and squeezed her hand. Pamela will always be their mother. I know, she said gravely. I don't begrudge you happiness, Seth. I don't think for a moment that you did. Her gaze wandered down the hallway toward the bedroom. Judd and Jason appeared over just as well. We've had our moments, he didn't elaborate. But more than once, he'd been tempted to reach for the phone and call Sharon. It had taken every bit of restraint. He possibly, no, I'm sorry, it took every bit of restraint he possessed not to plead with her to take over, to admit that he couldn't handle the kids on, on his own. His lowest point had been just before Mrs. Miracle arrived. Mrs. Miracle, the kids had him doing it now, Mrs. Merkel. Mrs. Merkel's wonder. Mrs. Merkel's a wonder. Seth couldn't agree with her more. It's good to see you. It's good to see you again, Sharon. She looked away. You're wondering what I'm doing here. I wasn't scheduled to arrive until next week. The thought had crossed my mind, he admitted, taking the last night's angry phone call. Jerry and I. The doorbell interrupted her and she glanced over his shoulder. I'm not expecting anyone. It was after nine, and he doubted that the paper boy would be collecting this late. While he answered the door, Sharon stood and walked over to the refrigerator to take out the milk. Sorry, he said on his way back to the, his way from the door. I forgot you liked your coffee with cream. No problem. She looked much better today, he mused. Her color was back, and some of the weariness had left her eyes. He checked the people and then, astonished, hurriedly opened the door for his father-in-law, Jerry. Jerry, he said, trying to hide the shock. This is a pleasant surprise. He heard the crash behind him and whirled around to find the coffee mug shattered across the kitchen floor. And Sharon looking at her husband as if doing a ghost. Let me straighten out a little bit. Ah, my legs start bothering me. Chapter 19. Sharon couldn't have been more surprised if Elvis himself had showed up at the front door. I want Elvis to show up at my front door. Certainly, the last person she'd expected to see was her own husband. She'd have thought he'd rather pluck chickens than chase after her. Not that he was exactly chasing her. They stood in the park, staring at one another, each waiting for the other to speak. Neither seemed willing to be the first to breach the gap. I came to talk to my wife, Jerry announced, stiffly to Seth. Talk? Fine. I'm sure you two have some problems. I'm sure you two would like some privacy. That won't be necessary, Sharon said, preferring that her son-in-law stay in the room. If Jerry assumed they could immediately sweep everything under the carpet, he'd made a wasted trip. The hell it isn't, Jerry argued. I didn't come all this way to be left standing on the porch twiddling my thumbs. To Sharon's way of thinking, that was exactly where he deserved to be. The man had put her through hell. By the time she'd arrived in Seattle, she could barely function emotionally. Her husband and her best friend. Why don't you two sit down here in the living room and sort others out? Seth suggested. And gestured toward the sofa. I'll clean up the spilled coffee and give you some space. I mean, peace. 
Jerry didn't wait didn't wait for Sherry to agree. I moved from the entry hall to the living room, hauling two suitcases with him. She was grateful to see him, if for no other reason than to have the clothes he brought along. Sharon, Sherry waited for her. It was either it was either it was either because the scene or accept the only civil option available to her. Oh, I'm sorry. It was either cause the scene or accept the only civil option available to her. Reluctantly, she walked into the other room, sitting as far away from Jerry as possible. The silence was thick and uncomfortable. She'd be down before she'd speak first. An eternity passed, and the only sound came from the the kitchen. Soon that faded and disappeared. You forgot your medication, Jerry said, and removed the brown drugstore bottle from his jacket pocket. She supposed she should be grateful that he didn't mention her luggage. I thought you might need your, your hormones. She didn't know what it was that concerned Jerry about her pills. It was almost as though he feared she'd wake up with, with a beer one morning because she forgot to take them. Thank you, she said, attempting to remain courageous without revealing how absolutely delighted she was to see him. She didn't want to be, but she couldn't keep her heart from banging against her chest. For 40 years, she'd loved this man, and despite her many differences, she couldn't stop. I mean, there are many differences. That made her decision to flourish him all the more difficult, all the more painful. They'd grown apart and weren't the same people any longer. About me and Maggie, Jerry said, the words falling awkwardly from his lips. It's not what you... It's not the way it looked. Sharon bided her time. She figured that out, she figured that out for herself. It had taken her the better part of two days, but she knew in the deepest part of her soul that Jerry wouldn't cheat on her. Furthermore, she trusted Maggie, who was happily married. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I get to looking up. We began having some we've been having so many problems lately, Jerry said, and cleared his throat. I asked Maggie's opinion. About what? Her face reddened slightly slightly. I thought you might need the dosage of your hormones after something. You think what? She understands you better than I do, he shouted, his eyes boring into her accusingly. I can't ever talk to you anymore. I have to go to your friends to, to find out what you're thinking. For all intents and purposes, we're living separate lives and doing it in the same house. Something's got to change. I couldn't agree with you more. Six months ago, she would have never believed she and Jerry would consider such a drastic measure as divorce, but it appeared to be the only feasible solution to their troubles. Jerry lowered his head and seemed to find it necessary to clean beneath his fingernails. He leveled his gaze at her and asked, You believe me about Maggie, don't you? Once her head had cleared, she suspected it was innocent, perhaps because she so desperately wanted to believe her husband and her best friend wouldn't betray her. Jerry's eyes bored holes into her, silently pleading with her to believe him. Fool as she was, she did. I know. If you do that, then why did you run off without so much as leaving me a note? I didn't know what the hell happened to you. His words were full of anger and accusation. Edna was the one who said she saw you get in the taxi. Edna, the neighborhood busybody. Her tongue must have really, her tongue must really be wagging now. How must how how it must have hurt Jerry's pride to seek out their, their nosy neighbor for information. To her credit, Sharon had purposely had purposely gone without leaving him a note. She regretted that, but a note wasn't the only thing she forgot. It was a taxi driver who told me he'd taken you to the airport, Jerry added. From there, it wasn't difficult to figure out where, where you'd gone. What was I to think? I come home to an empty house with no note, only to discover from the neighbor that, that you left me. I want a divorce. 
Some might fault her timing, but it needed to be said, and the sooner the better. Jerry looked as if she pulled out a handgun and then fired. He opened his mouth and blew it twice. A divorce? He echoed, exhaling sharply. You want a divorce? Don't try to tell me this is a surprise. What did you think? That I enjoy living with this constant tension, with this continual battle of wills? We're both miserable, and I can see no reason to continue with this farce of a marriage. He blinked as if he couldn't believe what he was hearing. Sharon realized her words had been abrupt and harsh. You don't know how much this saddens me, Jerry, she whispered, lowering her gaze to her clenched hands. It isn't that I blame you or even myself, but we aren't the same people we, we used to be. Things change. People change. If this has to do with my having lunch with Maggie, it doesn't, she assured him, realizing he was looking for something to pinpoint. That's not it, he furrowed his brow. But I thought, I mean, I realized it must have been a shock. We haven't made love in months, she laughed. We don't even sleep together any longer. You cook your meals, I cook mine. As far as she could see, it was only a matter of time before he reached the same conclusion. We seem to be constantly at odds. It isn't that you've done anything wrong, or that I haven't been a good wife. You want this, Sharon? She didn't. Had never dreamed that this calamity could befall them. She assumed their marriage was safe. They lived, loved, and grieved together. But somewhere along the way, they'd stopped trying. Stopped communicating. He had an entire life that had nothing to do with her. And the same applied to him. Or her, I'm sorry. That this would happen to them now was one of life's cruel jokes. Only she wasn't laughing, and neither was Jerry. She hadn't reached the decision lightly. This was quite possible the most difficult thing she'd ever done, with the exception of burying her daughter. I know you've tried to make this work, she said, avoiding this question. So have I. Is a divorce what you want? He asked again, a bit louder. She remembered the way her heart had leapt when when he saw that she come that he come, when she saw that he come for her. And she buried that small shred of joy in the deepest part of her soul. Do you? He pressed, with gay holding hers. Yes, she whispered brokenly. Jerry staggered against the back of the chair. I never thought this would happen to us. Me either, she admitted sadly. You have an attorney yet? She shook her head. I want this to be as amicable as possible. He nodded. I'll take work on both our parts. He heard that he was so damn agreeable. While it was true she was the one who asked for the divorce, she'd hoped he'd fight to save their marriage. Her pride would have preferred for him to put up some resistance, even if it was only a token. After 40 after 40 year investment, one would think he wanted to try harder. At first, she prayed he wouldn't. It would be easier on both of them if he accepted her decision calmly. The reality of that was quite different. Sharon was grateful she was seated. His fine, okay, oh, I see. His fine, if this was what you want, attitude left her feeling as if the record had pulled out from under her. Her emotions spiraled downward, crashing, taking what reminded, remained of her pride. We had some good years, if he wouldn't mention those. We had some good years. If he wouldn't mention those, she would. Some great years and some not so great. She wondered if he was remembering the year Pamela had died or if his mind was dwelling on the last 12 months when they didn't seem to have anything common any longer. Do you want to break the knees of the kids now? Jerry asked. He made a sound as though 
they should run to the phone and call their sons and announce it with great ceremony. Sharon enjoyed telling her sons more, more, more than she did Jerry. They were both responsible adults, but it would hit them hard, rock their foundation, and she'd have liked to spare them that. I'd prefer to wait until after Christmas, she said, hoping he was agreeable with that. She could see no reason to ruin everyone's holiday. He nodded. All right, if that's what you want. After weeks of not having a civil word to say to her, he'd, come, he'd become amicable overnight. She bit her tongue to keep from saying so. It's going to come as something of a shock to Clay O'Neill, her husband murmured, saying what she'd been thinking moments earlier. Although she'd been the one who requested the divorce, it came as a shock to her as well. A terrible sadness settled over her. The last time she experienced anything this heavy, this debilitating, had been shortly after the news of Pamela's car accident. As it had been, it felt now as if her heart would never heal. Would you mind terribly if I stayed this big Christmas with Seth with Liz? Before she could answer, he rushed to add, as if he needed to convince her, seeing that I'm already here and all. The tightness in her throat made it difficult to answer with words, but she nodded. We can get along that long, can't we? I'm sure we can, Sharon managed, if we're both on our best behavior. The silence was back, less strained this time. Having reached an agreement, even one that set the terms of dissolution of the marriage, produced a certain accord. The irony of it didn't escape Sharon. With some hesitation, Seth stepped into the room and glanced from one to the other. Is everything okay between you two, or do you need some more time? Everything fine, Jerry supplied, answering for them both. Sharon was grateful he did. She wasn't sure she could have sounded nearly as convincing. You'll be staying off with all of these then? Seth directed the question to Jerry. If it's not a problem, none. It'll be good to have you both. I ain't able to deal with the small talk. Sharon stood abruptly. I've had a full day. I hope you'll both excuse me. She picked me on. I can't believe how tired I am. Sure, honey, Jerry said, sounding as if they weren't a thing. Sounding as if there, there weren't a thing wrong in the world. By all means, Sharon, said added. Thanks for all your help with the twins and costumes. It was a pleasure. Sit down, Jerry invited his son-in-law, and tell me how everything is going with you and the kids. Sherry managed to smile as she slipped past her son-in-law and down the hall to the guest room. The voices of the two men faded as she closed the bedroom door. Jerry was by far the better actor. It helped that Seth and her husband were such good friends. The two could easily talk the night away. Sherry slumped onto the side of the mattress. Side of, yeah, side of the mattress. Her lower lip trembled and she bit hard into, and she bit into it hard until she sampled the sweet taste and knew she'd draw blood. With her eyes closed, she rocked gently, her arms cradling her stomach. She felt alone and afraid. A future without Jerry frightened her almost as much as a future with him. A divorce was what she wanted, what she asked for. She should be pleased that Jerry had been so willing and so agreeable. He could have made it difficult, but he seemed to want out of the marriage that had suddenly turned sour. Sharon couldn't blame him. Even when they tried to make the marriage work, they were both miserable. He had his own ideas of what their life should be like now that he'd retired, and she had hers. How sad that their vision no longer matched. How sad indeed. Brushing the hair from her face, she gathered reserve, measure of energy, and undressed. The nightdress Mrs. Merkel had loaned her was three sizes too large. The flannel brushed gown hung on her like an empty tail sack. It was by far the most unflattering piece of apparel she ever wore. 
When the thoughts tangled in dark, she removed her makeup and cleaned her teeth. Then sat up in bed reading. When someone knocked politely, her gaze went to the door. Yes? Jerry stood in the doorway as if he had chance. Seth has to be in the office early tomorrow morning, he said, walking down the room. He closed the door, and the latch clicked softly as it connected. Jerry's reading glasses slid down the bridge of her nose. Surely Jerry didn't intend to sleep with her. She opened her mouth to say as much as when she realized that he had no choice. Consequently, neither she did, neither did she. Jerry must have read the look in her eyes because he said, we've slept together for nearly 40 years. I imagine we could do so for a couple more weeks, don't you? I'm sure we can, she, she answered crisply. In fact, I think we should make the most of this time. She didn't like the application and tugged with blankets more closely around her breast. How do you mean? He grinned as if he found her after community. But Judd and Jason will probably be the last time we'll spend time with him together. You're right. That too was a sad realization. The twins were the glue that had held them together for the last four years. Neither of them had realized it at the time. But the truth couldn't be ignored in light of what had happened since the children had gone back to live with their father. Jerry sat on the edge of the bed, his weight causing the rest to dip. His back was to her. I want you to know that I'll make everything as financially comfortable for you as I can. I know you will, she whispered. You've been a good wife to me, Sharon. I can't tell you how sorry I am that it has to end like this. If this was the time for confession, she had a few of her own. I apologize for the childish way I behaved the last few weeks. Yes, well, you weren't the only one. And buttoned the shirt. With effort, we should be able to make it through the holidays without embarrassing ourselves. We should, she agreed. She closed her novel and set it aside, removed her glasses and laid, laid it down. Her hands clenching the blanket, her eyes focused on the ceiling while Jerry undressed and pulled back the covers. She held her breath as he slipped between the sheets. A moment later, the room went dark. Good night, Sharon. Good night. Carrie rolled onto the side. Sharon lay her head cradled by the thick feather pillow and stared sightlessly into the darkness. This was quite possibly the most tragic moment of her life. Within moments, her husband stored softly at her side. Okay, guys. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll continue next week with Mrs. Miracle. And it looks like we've got two more readings left in this book, because according to what I'm saying, there's two minutes, 19 minutes left. So it's going to be next weekend, and then the week after, and then we'll be starting another book. So this was cool. I'm really enjoying this book. And like I said, this goes into a lot more detail than what the Mrs. Miracle movie on Hallmark went into. You know, I want to thank you guys for spending your Sunday evening with me. I really appreciate it. Especially after Christmas, when everybody's coming down off that holiday high, and all that good stuff, and we're all stuffed with food, and we're all looking at our gifties, and all that stuff. But I want to thank you all. Uh, tomorrow, we start our regular schedule again, and I just want to let you know our first guest of the week is going to be our good friend Jared Mosby, the gentleman who uh, has written several papers and done several t TV specials. Excuse me while I get a drink of water. About, uh, you know, the stuff like the, the, the stuff in uh, ancient Egypt being not built by aliens or designed by aliens, but built by man himself. He's also, ah, nothing like good water. He's also taking a trip to Arizona because I kind of put the bug in here about the, that mystery cave that wasn't that, that uh, somebody had found while rafting in Arizona that supposedly had the uh, skeletons of giants in it. And he had gone find it, couldn't find it, but he's got a small documentary out 
that he wants to share with us tomorrow. So we're going to be looking for that. Let me light myself up here. There we go. That he wants to share with us. So I'm kind of I'm really excited to talk with him. On Tuesday now, we're going to have an interesting guest from Australia. Her name is Judy Carroll. And Judy has been an abduction, a UFO abductee for all of her life, 60 years of her life. That's almost all her life. The thing about Judy is that she also says that she has known these, uh, these, these greys for so long that they have asked her aboard their ship to meetings because they're trying to figure out how they're going to save the Earth. You know, because, because they, they, they've been observing the Earth all this time. And, you know, there's things going on that they're not comfortable with. And they want Judy to have, be kind of like an emissary to be able to tell people here on Earth, you know, exactly what's going on. So that, you know, there's not a panic or anything like that. So she's going to be with us Tuesday. Wednesday, we're going to be talking guardian angels and how to contact our guardian angels with our guest on Tuesday. And Thursday is going to be unique because we're going to have a gentleman on who bought a haunted house on purpose. He, he had grown up in a, you know, around ghosts and and UFOs and things like that, but he wanted to buy a haunted house in his adult life, and, and, he, and he's going to be telling us why and how he did it. But I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. My name is Charlotte again. It's the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. If you want to check out our, our videos, they're on our website at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Everything is there, all of our videos, all of our archives for a year. Uh, we used to be on Blog Talk Radio for like 10 years, and I'm starting to transfer those videos. They're not videos, they're just regular podcasts, but I'm starting to try I'm getting ready to transfer those podcasts over onto that site as well. So those you're gonna to get to go back ten years and see our guests from then. We can be found on Apple Podcasts for both sets. You can be found for our old sets from Blog Talk, our new sets for, for this format. Um, if you uh, don't want to mess with any of that, and you wanna just check out our podcast, you can look us up at uh, iHeartRadio.com. We have a site there, and we also have a uh, site at TuneIn Radio, and I can, again at Apple Podcast. Uh, this California Haunts is a uh, <laughs> sorry, is a nonprofit organization. All the stuff you see comes out of my pocket, just like the equipment that the paranormal team uses, uh, the mics, the computers, all this other good stuff comes out of my pocket. If you guys could uh, take it out of your heart to donate a little bit to it to me to keep things going so I can keep the show going and everything, that would be great. That's at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or we have a Venmo, and it's really easy that way if you're a member of Venmo. Just go into Venmo, type in California Haunts, will pop right up, and you can do it that way. Just boom, that's that easy. Uh, used to our YouTube page, we're looking for more subscribers. We're always looking for more subscribers. All you have to do is, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, Click on that little ghost, uh, that, that little ghost you see with the with, with the magnifying glass, and, and that will make you a subscriber. It's that easy if you like what you see. And if you like what you see, share it with five people. If you didn't like what you see, share it with five people anyway. We're an equal opportunity here. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming, and I will see you next Sunday with this reading. But I will also see you tomorrow. Let me find my little page here. There we go. I will also see you tomorrow with the regular show at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good evening.